Good morning, Crowd family. I'm so glad you can join us today. Listen, before we dive into the message, I want to give a shout out to Stella Dominguez out there in Fresno. Stella, God bless you. We love you and miss you a whole lot. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 it is right after the Song of Solomon and right before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And by the way, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, our text today is one of the answers in the Bible trivia. That was so cool, wasn't it? So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is today's text as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6. I would say that as parents, one of the most exciting tasks to do is choosing a name for your newborn child. Now, some names are quickly dismissed because they don't sound right, they don't sound cool, they don't sound catchy, or perhaps you associate some of those names uh, with certain people that you don't like or because of certain stereotypes that go with them. It's not always easy uh, finding the right name. Now, me and my wife, Lucinda, uh, we are on the same page when it came to naming our kids, and that was fun and it was awesome. We now have a grandson, and his name is Jaden. And Jaden will turn one years old on the 26th of this month, the day after Christmas. And Jaden has brought so much love, so much joy and so much laughter into our lives. And his name, Jaden, his name means God has heard. God has heard. And I love that. I love what his name means. And you see, in the Bible days, uh, they picked names not because they sounded right, cool, or catchy. They picked names because they meant something. They meant something. In fact, some of the people had their names changed as a result of their new relationship with with God, for example, Abraham was changed to Abraham, uh, Jacob was changed to Israel, Simon was changed to Peter, and uh, Saul was changed uh, to Paul. So when we read the names in the Bible, they were carefully chosen because they meant something, not because uh, they sounded right, cool, or catchy. And you see, in, in Jewish thought, a name doesn't just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his or her being. Now, the title of my message today is The Child with Four Names. Everyone say that, The Child with Four Names. In today's text, we will be looking at the four names. Uh, they're descriptive names given to the promised Messiah. But before that, in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, Isaiah tells us that though Assyria would ravage the land, he saw hope in Israel's future. In verses 3 through 5, Isaiah tells us how the Lord will multiply the nation of Israel and bless them, love that, bless them abundantly when the Messiah comes. That brings us right into today's text. Four points, but before that, before that, let's look at the first part of the text, verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born. I want to stop there. Now, now, theoretically, theoretically, Jesus could have come as a fully grown man. But for him to fully identify with humanity and to display in his life the servant nature that is in God, Philippians chapter 2, 7, Philippians 2, 7 says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and this is what he says, and coming in the likeness of men, and coming in the likeness of men. Of men. For to us a child is born, it's read on, to us a son, say son, is given. I want to stop there. This child would be more than a man. He is also the eternal son 
of God. Humanly, humanly, a child is born, that's the son of man, but divinely, a son is given, that's the son of God. Say son, say son of God. John 3.16, we know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, say gave, his one and only begotten son. Say son. The word gave there literally means delivered up. So he, speaking of God's son, was delivered up to death on a cross so that those who receive him might be delivered up from death into life. Don't you love that? Isaiah 7.14, in the same book here, Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. That's his humanity, with child, humanity. And will give birth to a son, say son, and will call him Emmanuel, which we know that Emmanuel means what? God with us. That speaks of his deity. In Luke chapter 1, Luke 1 32, Luke 1, 32, it says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son, say the Son, the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, Matthew, write it down, 2, 11, says, As the wise men saw the baby, listen what they did, they bowed down and worshipped him. And presented him with gifts of gold, say gold, frankincense, say frankincense, and myrrh, say myrrh. Gold, gold is prophetic of the fact that he would be the king. Uh, frankincense is prophetic that he is priest, the great high priest. And myrrh is embalming liquid, which is prophetic of his death. Isn't that awesome? So he wasn't an ordinary baby. He was flesh. We know that he was flesh, right? Flesh. But at the same time, he was God. John chapter 1 verse 1. We know this, right? John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was what? Word was God. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 14. John 1 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. In other words, He tabernacled among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now we can choose Jesus or reject him, love him or hate him, but from the very moment of his appearance in the manger, friends, it is, it's impossible to ignore him. And for centuries, people have been trying to get rid of him and his influence with no success, no avail. Now listen, his appearance on earth was so incredible that it divided the whole of human history into B.C. and A.D. Let's read on. Read, let's read on. And the government will be on his shoulders. And the government will be on his shoulders. This will ultimately be fulfilled in the millennium. When Jesus himself, listen now, will rule on the earth as King of King and Lord of Lords. Say amen to that. That's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 and 6. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah, this book here, Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, and verse 11. And also Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. And also Zechariah, found in Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 6 through 21. 6 through 21. 
Now, his reign isn't just going to last a thousand years. The millennium is a special aspect of his reign. Listen, friends, there'll be no end, say no end, no end to the reign of the Messiah. And he will rule and reign for all of eternity. Someone say amen. So I want you to jump. Let's now jump to verse 7. Let's all jump to verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time, listen, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Luke chapter 1, Luke 1 verse 33 says this, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now someday, someday, there'll be no Democrats, no Republicans, no Libertarians, or Independents. And we all know, right? We all know that democracy does not solve our problems. And you see, we, we were created... Uh, intended uh, to be governed with, uh, with a theocratic uh, kingdom. Theocracy is the absolute rule of God over his people. As the text says, and the government will be on his shoulders. So I want you to follow me here. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is coming back for his people, and, 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 and then coming in glory with his people to reign upon the earth. Listen, he's returning to this world not as a lamb, but as a lion. Not to die, but to reign. Not to suffer, but to put out evil. And he came, friends, the first time as a lamb to die. And this time he comes as a king to conquer and reign. That's found in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16. So question does he reign and does he rule in your life? Does he reign and does he rule in your heart? Does he reign and does he rule in your home? Is he, listen now, the absolute king and ruler of all that you are and all that you have? And hopefully the answer is yes. Here in the text, Isaiah tells us about the divine son, right? We know this, the divine son who will be born to the nation. And what it does, it presents Jesus, the Messiah, in his fullness. And friends, these names were given to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, 700 years before he was even born. And they express the very nature of his being. They describe who he is and what he has come to do. So, so let's... let's Let's look at the names, the description of the promised Messiah. So four points, if you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Point number one is this. He is the profound one. Write that down. He is the profound one. Let's look at the text, verse 6 again. And he will be called, what? Wonderful Counselor. Say that, Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful means supernatural, secret, it means extraordinary. Judges 13, 18. Judges 13, chapter 13, verse 18 says, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. The words beyond understanding is from the same word as the word translated wonderful. Now, friends, 
In the Hebrew, the word wonderful is pele, pele, P-L-E, excuse me, P-E-L-E, P-E-L-E, pele, and it means wonder or miracle. So so you got to get this. Jesus is a wonderful, miracle-working counselor who does what no one else can do for us. Someone say amen to that. I love that. Now say counselor. Come on, say counselor. He's profound. He's a profound counselor, okay? His counsel is deep. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on, if you're safe, say amen. You and I have a counselor at our disposal. Disposal, excuse me, disposal. And and, and what a necessity that is, friends, in this complicated, confusing, messed up world that we live in. And listen, we live in a world that is full of bad, evil counsel, friends. In fact, back in Genesis chapter 3, it was bad, evil counsel that led to the fall of man. Bad, listen now, bad, evil counsel has led nations to make war on other nations. Bad, evil counsel has wrecked lives. It has led young lives into sin with the false promise of no fault or no consequences for their pleasures. Bad, evil counsel is deceptive. And guess what? It's everywhere. It's pervasive. And to counter bad, evil counsel in the world in which we live in, we need a good counselor and I thank God, friends, there's such a counselor. He's no common, listen, he, he's no common counselor. He's called Wonderful Counselor. And he's wonderfully qualified for this job. And let me tell you, let me tell you why he is wonderfully qualified for this job. I want you to follow me here, okay? He has been a counselor from all eternity. And not only that, he was, listen, he was part of the eternal council of the triune God, the Godhead, forming the plan of salvation and the creation of the world and the providence, a providence that would govern it, which means, which means that he governs our lives according to his perfect counsel. He's wonderfully qualified for this job because, listen now, he has lived longer than anyone. He knows everything. He has unlimited knowledge. He's always available, always gives perfect advice. He's always right. He's always right. His motives are always pure. And he rules with, listen now, unfailing depth of wisdom. He is infinite, say infinite, in wisdom. Listen, there's no one better fit to guide our lives and to give us counsel than Jesus Christ himself. In fact, he should be our immediate resource as a counselor. He's a careful listener and a clear advisor. Now, does he use the presence and words of pastors and leaders and other believers and counselors to counsel us? Of course he does. Yes, he does. But he is our ultimate counselor. You see, our personal resources and our experience are limited. Now, The most awesome and amazing thing about having Jesus as our wonderful counselor is that we have unlimited wisdom and resources at our disposal. His perspective is infinite and his resources are unlimited. 
And not only that, friends, but he, he can totally identify uh, the problem and relate to and understand the hurt because, because he experienced the same trials and temptations we face. And you see, he understands what we're going through and he gives us the right advice to help us, help us get through what we're going through. In other words, he's not disconnected. Why don't you write these verses down, Hebrews Chapter 2, Hebrews 2, verses 17 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. It says, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Friends, God became a man to face what we face, to walk in our shoes. He knew what it was like to suffer, what it was like to be rejected, to feel lonely, to be falsely accused. He experienced emotional anguish. He even cried. He shed tears. He cried. And he knew temptation. He understood. Listen now. He understood the desire to strike back, to give up, to despair. And the only difference between our experience and his experience is that he got through the tempting times without giving in. He was without sin, but that doesn't mean he was without struggle. And so therefore, he, he understands our deepest needs, our hurts, and our struggles. So there's a lesson. We always have a lesson, right? And here's the lesson. He can identify with us. Write that down. He can identify with us. He understands our deepest needs, our deepest hurts, and also our deepest struggles. So follow me here. So when we're suffering, when we're feeling rejected, lonely, when we've been falsely accused, when we're hurting emotionally, crying, being tempted, Jesus says, I can identify with that. I know exactly, exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you're going through. Isn't that comforting? That is so comforting. Now, who better qualified friends to offer us guidance, advice, and direction? Who always hits the mark 100% of the time? It's Jesus. Say that, Jesus. And this is what makes him so wonderful. This is what makes him so amazing. His wisdom comes straight from the throne room of heaven. And by the way, he never, never sought the counsel of of man. Romans 11, verse 34, Romans chapter 11, verse 34 says this, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? No one. You know what? You will never, never hear Jesus say, hey guys, what do you think I should do? Mm -mm. He says, this is what I'm going to do. He is worthy of our loyalty because his counsel goes beyond 
our human limitations. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. We, listen, as believers, we cannot, we cannot afford to be making any decisions without a guiding word from Jesus. And this is why we must go to him and seek his face and seek his written word. And it's there, it's there. Where, we, where, where he guides us, where he instructs us. Listen, listen, he is for us. Okay, he is for us and he is full of wisdom. And this is why we are to keep regular quiet time with our amazing, miraculous, wonderful Counselor, and embrace his wisdom for our daily lives, for family, relationships, finances, ministry, career, education, future, for our future, for every single thing. We need to rest in him, rest in his wise counsel. So that being said, question, what are you facing right now? What are you facing right now, friends? What circumstance or situation are you in? Okay, are you in that requires wisdom, that requires wisdom beyond your intellect and wisdom beyond your education? Huh? What is it? Well, all you got to do is ask your wonderful counselor for wisdom. That's all you got to do. James 1.5, we know this, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Right? Who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. Be given to you. There's a lesson. Here's a lesson. You want the lesson? Here it is. And I love this. His counsel is free. His counsel is free. He doesn't charge $75 to $150 an hour. Okay? You don't need to make an appointment and wait weeks or months to receive counsel from him. Okay, all you have to do is just call on him, read his word, and he will speak to you. He knows you better than others. He knows you better than yourself. In fact, when you come to him and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going through this problem, he says, I know. Lord, I'm going through this issue with my spouse. He goes, I know, I know already. He knows you better than yourself. He's the profound one, number one. Number two is he is the powerful one. Say that. He is the powerful one. Let's go back to the text. The text says he's called Mighty God. Mighty God. The Hebrew for God in this title is El Gabor. El Gabor. It means the mighty God. It speaks of God's military might. Okay, no enemy will be able to prevail against him. And what it does, it denotes a mighty power that can be found only in deity. Therefore, his power is set apart from all of the powers and is seen as far superior to anyone else. Listen, listen now. He is full omnipotence, the strong one. Literally, he is, literally, he is the God hero. Say that, the God hero. I want you to write this down, Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 18 through 20, Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. And Paul writes, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And this is what he says. And his incomparably great power, say great power, great power for us who believe, that power, say power, is like the working of his mighty strength. 
which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now listen, friends. The Bible doesn't teach us that Jesus would be like God or be thought of as God. Mm -mm. It teaches us that he is God. Say that, he is God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, John 10, verse 30, it says, Jesus said, I and, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 9, John 14, 9. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So he has supernatural power. He's the sovereign of sovereigns. He's in control. Therefore, listen now, therefore, there's no reason for us as believers to panic, okay, to panic concern, okay, no reasons for us to panic, to have concern, or to be chaotic in our life here on earth. Got it? There's no reason for panic, concern, or chaos. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We worship a powerful God. Say that. We worship a powerful God. Power over creation. Power over death. The power to be raised from the dead. The power to save us from the grip of Satan, of sin, and of self. The power to deliver us from the past, from our addictions, from depression. The power to change and sustain us, to empower us, to do all that He has called us to do. He alone is qualified to be our hero. Amen? So point number one is the profound one. He is the profound one. He's Number two is he is the powerful one. Point number three is he is the perpetual one. He is the perpetual one. In other words, he's, he's never ending. He, he's eternal. He's permanent, uh, endless, without end, everlasting. That's what perpetual means. The text there, he is called everlasting what? Father. Everlasting Father. He's the author, the source of all eternity. Now, some federal leaders will run for re-election, but Jesus doesn't have to. Listen, Jesus doesn't have to run for re-election. Why? Because his term never ends. He's everlasting. Say that. He's everlasting. Now, I, I, I listen. Don't confuse. Don't confuse what Isaiah is saying here. Okay. Don't confuse what Isaiah is saying here. He's not saying that Jesus is the Father. He's not saying that. He's talking about his relationship to us, not his relationship within the council of the Trinity. In the Trinity, the Father is the Father, the Son is the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. But when he speaks of him as the Father of eternity or everlasting Father, he's speaking of him in relationship to us. In other words, friends, listen now. He is the life giver, the parent of eternity, the one who gives life to us. And in that sense, he is a father of that which is eternal. I want you to follow me here. It's referring to his position, say position, regarding eternity, not his place in deity. Okay, He's God the Son, not God the Father. And we see his position in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, and it says this, Colossians 1, 16 through 17, as Paul writes, for by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him, 
This is his position. All things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, he says, have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So in other words, Jesus has preeminence over all things as their originator, creator, and father. And so he is called the eternal father. He is called uh, everlasting father, or a translation which would be more accurate would be father of eternity. In other words, he, he loved us with an everlasting love. He chose us in everlasting grace. He predestined us to an everlasting inheritance and he redeemed us with everlasting blood. So we can say this, say it like this. He lives forever and he loves like a father. He lives forever and he loves like a father. He is loving, paternal, concerned, tender, faithful, wise, guardian, provider, and protector. Don't you love that? He lives forever, and he loves like a father. He is the profound one, the powerful one, the perpetual one. And the fourth point is this. He is the peace-giving one. He is the peace-giving one. Look at the text. He is called Prince of Peace. Now, this anticipates the glorious millennial kingdom where he brings peace on earth. And there will be no conflicts. Why? Because he is the Prince of Peace. But, but this also refers to, listen now, to peace with God and the peace of God that we can experience right now in our hearts. Follow me. He alone can give us peace, peace with God by reconciling sinners, us, to a holy God. Now listen, friends. You will never have peace in your life. Peace with others until you make peace with God. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And that's what, listen now, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about God sending His one and only Son so that through Him, listen now, you could be reconciled to God and experience real everlasting peace. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled, there it is, reconciled us to himself through Christ. If you love that, say amen. Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there will be no peace personally or generally until Jesus is welcomed and also enthroned in your heart. Until then, until then, you are at war with God. 
Now, let me give you a description of the world's philosophy of peace. If you're feeling stressed, the world tells you get a prescription, take a drug, or get drunk. If your relationship is a struggle, they tell you get a divorce. If you are overwhelmed by something, if you feel guilty, keep searching until you find someone who tells you, okay, that you're not doing anything wrong. That's the world's philosophy of peace. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God's peace is different from the world's peace. Listen, the peace, listen, the prince, the prince of peace wants to give you peace that calms your fears. John 16, 33. John 16, 33. I have told you, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. I have told you these things so that in me, he says, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not might, you will have trouble, but take heart. Gosh, I love that. Take heart. I, he says, have overcome the world. John 14, 27. John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace, I leave you. My peace, he says, I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. It's different from the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It is calm and confidence that comes in spite of difficult trying times. And what it does, it surpasses all understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Philippians 4, 7 says this, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says this. You will keep in perfect peace. Okay. Peace, him the, whose mind, perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I'm going to read that again. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. There's a lesson, here's a lesson, and you got to get this lesson. We are able to sleep in the storm. We are able to sleep in the storm. Isn't that awesome? Billy Graham said this, In Christ, we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of the confusions, bewilderments, and perplexities of this life. The storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. We have found peace at last. In the midst of COVID-19, we can have peace. We can sleep in the midst of a storm. In fact, friends, you know what? As Christians, okay, we should be displaying this kind of peace in our lives to those around us. They, the world, should see a difference in our lives that no matter what we're going through, COVID-19 or whatever we're going through in life, that they see that in the midst of all that stuff, we still have peace. 
Can I get amen? Listen, the Prince of Peace brought peace at his birth. He taught peace in his life, and he bought peace by his death. Let's break that down. He, he brought peace at his birth, and that's found in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, verses 11 through 14. Don't have time to read it, but he brought peace at his birth. There in Luke 2, 11 through 14, the birth of Christ gives everyone the opportunity to receive true peace, everlasting peace. A peace that doesn't fall apart. A peace that has no missing pieces. A peace that's altogether lovely, altogether wonderful, altogether, altogether. He brought peace at his birth. He also taught peace in his life. Jesus taught peace in his life, man. His disciples saw peace in his life as they walked with him for three years. He didn't just teach it, he also displayed it. He remained in perfect peace. He modeled it, and friends, he, he commanded it, and he instilled it in the lives of others. He brought peace at his birth, he taught peace in his life, and he bought peace, bought peace by his death. He bought peace by his death. Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20 and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So he brought it, taught it, and bought it, but you can't have it until you come to the foot of the cross and trust Jesus Christ to save your life. Listen, friends, there's no true peace apart from salvation. There's no true peace apart from the cross. There's no true peace apart from the Prince of Peace. You're saved, say amen. Listen, with him we have, listen, we have vertical peace. We have peace with God. We have internal peace. Peace, okay, peace with ourselves. We have horizontal peace, peace with others. And ultimately, ultimately, we will have eternal peace, everlasting peace, peace forever. Peace forever. So as we wrap this up, question, what, what, what's, what's in the name? We're talking about names here, right? What's in a name? Well, if that name is Arnold Perez, friends, it's not very much. But if the name is Jesus, everything, everything said, everything is in that name. His name is a source of our salvation and, and, and the hope of our hearts. His name can break sin's bondage and listen, now lift the greatest burdens and comfort the brokenhearted his name is a name worth knowing because it speaks of a Savior worth loving. His name unlocks the door of heaven and closes the gates of hell. His name saves a vilest sinner, redeems the blackest soul, and secures the precious saints. His name is everything. His name is everything. For unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace he's the profound one the powerful one the perpetual one and the peace giving one 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the precious gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the gift of all gifts, the gift that gives us life, the gift that sets us free, and the gift that secures our eternity. We honor you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now listen, Christmas began in the heart of God and it's complete only when it reaches your heart. So if you want to trust Jesus Christ to come into your heart today and follow him, if that's you, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I invite you to come into my life to save me, to cleanse me, and to change me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you today. I'm saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. And from this day forth, I will serve you faithfully until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you said that prayer, if you said the prayer to, to ask Christ to come in your life and to follow him, we want to hear from you. We, we really want to hear from you. And so you can email us at contact at cryout.org. That's at contact at cryout.org if you made that decision. So friends, God bless you. I love you. And Merry, Merry Christmas. Love you all.